Do you remember your first prayer? Some of you probably do. Maybe you said it, you know, before bedtime. Maybe parents were with you either before or after the bedtime story. Uh, Some of you might remember praying for every single person you know, including every pet on the street. Do you remember praying at the dinner table? Do you remember like the first time someone got you to say grace? What is grace? What is that? Do you remember maybe a memorized prayer or one that rhymes or maybe at camp one that sounded like a a popular song but with just different words? Do you guys remember that? Uh, How about now? You're a little bit older. You go out to a restaurant. Who prays? How many of you pray? At a restaurant. But, but here's the question, but, but who prays? Like if you're at a table of, I don't know, five or six people, who gets to pray? When do you pray? Do you pray? How long do you pray? For all those reasons, I have a few tips for you. Today we're talking about pre-meal prayer. Very confusing subject. A lot of people don't know when to pray, what to pray for, how to pray, who prays. Hey, do you want me to, should I pray? You want to, should we pray? I don't know if, all very confusing. We're going to cover it all today. Let's get started. Chips and salsa. Sometimes they bring it to the table before you're even seated. There's no need to pray for that. Lots of people wonder about appetizers. Do you pray for them? Do you not pray for them? No prayer is necessary for an appetizer if you have entrees coming out later. Salad. That is the most confusing thing on the prayer continuum. If it's a side salad or an appetizer salad, no need for prayer there. Now, if it's a main course salad or you're bringing it out with the rest of everyone else's meal, that then is going to require some kind of prayer. But I put that kind of in a separate category. For the most part, when you're thinking about salads, just remember this. If it requires dressing, it doesn't require a blessing. Do I pray for coffee? No. Are you a psychopath? No one wants to be next to the person at Starbucks that's praying over a latte, you weirdo. Soup. Do you pray for soup? Do not pray for soup. It's only bowl-related soups. Anything smaller than that is always off the hook. I like to say if it comes in a cup, no need to lift up. Everyone knows if you order a hamburger, that's going to require prayer. But if you order sliders, that does not require prayer. It's a little glitch in the system a lot of people are not aware of. Potato skins, no prayer. Baked potato, prayer. Ask any Bible-believing Christian, they're going to have a different policy on fries. Some say never eat the fries. Some say eat as many as you want. Here's the policy on fries. Up to three fries is acceptable to eat prior to the prayer. Do you hold hands before you pray? That depends on your situation. If it's a personal family gathering, some close-knit Bible study of some sort, sure, a hold hand wouldn't be uncomfortable. Now, if you're on a Tinder date, that might throw off the mood a little bit. Most of the confusion surrounding pre-meal prayer comes from when to actually pray. Let me just say, on behalf of waiters, all over the world. Please pray when your waiter is not there. There's nothing worse than a waiter coming out with two full arms of fajitas and you're over there mid-prayer at Jabez. Like, what are you doing? Last but certainly not least, who at the table volunteers to lead the prayer? Lots of people say the man should lead the prayer. Why is that? I'm not sure. It's 2018. Maybe we should get that rule adjusted at some point in the near future. A lot of people operate under the most spiritual person at the table. They're going to be the one that should pray because that prayer is going to be the most powerful and effective. So if you got obviously a pastor, 
a missionary, even a volunteer youth pastor. That prayer is going to be a little less effective, but it's still going to qualify. If you're just an average person sitting at the table with obviously more spiritual people around you, you're kind of off the hook because I feel like God would be like, hey, how come y'all didn't bless this meal? You'd be like, I don't know. Ask the pastor. He works for you. I hope that helps. So back to prayer. <laughs> Thinking about those, those early prayers, now you have a few tips under your belt for the next time. Maybe after service tonight, you're going to go out somewhere. You know exactly how to do it and when to do it and when not to do it. Uh, but I can still remember uh, some of the first prayers or, or the way maybe I was, I was taught to pray. Um, I'm really fortunate that I, I grew up with my grandparents uh, who were awesome, and my grandmother took me to church, and it was a little Anglican church not far from where we lived. And so I, I can remember being in a service where, you know, the common book of prayer was next to the hymnal, and they were color-coded, so I could tell even at a young age what was going on and, and when. But it was so interesting that everyone in the room was saying and praying the same exact prayer, and it was the Lord's Prayer. It was actually my grandfather who taught me the Lord's Prayer, and in the very traditional language that some of you might be familiar uh, with. Although he didn't go to church very often with us, he was the one to teach me, and I, I still remember uh, the very old-sounding words that go like this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, my favorite part. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Sound familiar? So we're in this series called Verbatim. It really just means word for word. And so what's kind of cool is that each week we've been going through the Lord's Prayer. Something a little different about this series compared to a lot of series we do, in this one, it's the same passage every week. But what's kind of cool about it is that each pastor on staff is, is preaching from this same passage. What I like about that is perhaps you've noticed when you read through uh, a passage that you're really familiar with, you read through it again in a few months it's like, wait, I didn't notice that before. Or maybe it's just the way that God's speaking through at the time. I'm sure some of us have heard sermons where uh, it's about a topic that, oh, I've heard this before, but somehow you take away uh, something new that time. So I think that's really interesting. We're all going to naturally approach it differently, but we're trusting that God is giving us direction as we both prepare for the message and then, and then preach it. But let's look at a, a little bit newer uh, version of this in the New Living Translation. Uh, it'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bible with you, it's in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And would you stand with me as we read this together? We'll stand, and you'll see this starting with our Father. So Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. You may be seated. When we read from Matthew 6, we find this prayer halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon is the longest recorded discourse we have of Jesus, and crowds were gathering, so he went up on this mountainside, and he sat down. 
Isn't that funny? I don't know if you noticed that before, but when we think of some of the famous uh, speeches in history or even just in our lifetime, you probably picture someone standing, maybe even behind something like a pulpit, right? Um, But in this case, he gets his disciples gathered around him, sits down, but they're listening to every word he says. And as we look at this account of him teaching his disciples and teaching them about prayer, we have this valuable lesson It's for you, but it's not about you. Would you turn to the neighbor on your left and say, this is for you, but it's not about you? And then turn to your right and say, this is for you, but it's not about you. (laughs) That's it. That's all. We can go home. Uh, No, this is for you, but it's not about you. See, Jesus taught us to pray, our Father. And have you ever noticed that in that prayer, there's no I, me, or my? It's all us and our. And yes, we should pray when we're alone, but prayer should also be expressed together. And as we just read uh, this today, that's not the only example of, of praying it together. But it's not a matter of if you pray, it's when you pray. And there's an expectation that we will. But what is prayer? So I was reading, and uh, someone I, I love to read and listen to his messages, Timothy Keller says that prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking for his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. And what happens when we pray? Well, when we pray, think of it this way, we, we supernaturally have the undivided attention of Almighty God. Isn't that, isn't that cool? When that happens, uh, we're connected with God, and when we're connected with God, we have an opportunity to align to His will. I think that's really the essence of the Lord's Prayer. And as I was thinking this week, I think the process of prayer is as important as the product. And through that continual process of prayer, that's how we develop our relationship with God. And the result, a changed heart. So part of prayer is realizing who you're speaking with. It's your Father. And it's so cool that that Jesus said, pray our Father instead of God or Lord Almighty. Or There there were so many options that he could have went with, but it's Father. That's a close relationship. Yet God is in heaven so far away. So we're taught to pray may your name be kept holy. Maybe it's to remind us, because we know there's so much meaning in names. When it comes to God's name, naturally, we think holy, or in the traditional sense, hallowed, which is to say sacred or revered. You know, Paul explains why we can call uh, this holy God Father in Romans 8, 14 through 17. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. We we were just singing about that. We now call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory, but... If we are to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. We're going to talk a little bit about John the Baptist today. 
and uh, that's a man who, who understood a little bit of suffering. But w- the reason we're looking at, at John is it, we were just reading from Matthew's account of, of the Lord's prayer. But in Luke chapter 11, we also have the Lord's prayer. But what's happening there is that Jesus just finished praying. He's in this certain place. We don't know which one, but a certain one. And one disciple comes up to him and asks him, teach us to pray. And this is interesting because we don't have any evidence that any of those disciples came and said, teach us to preach. Maybe that should be encouraging because, you know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't come down and he didn't have one of them say, that was awesome. Can you teach us to do that? Right? Because not every believer is called to preach, but we are all called to pray. Prayer is for all of us, anytime and in any circumstance. So let's consider Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer for a moment. His disciples didn't just ask Jesus to teach them to pray. In that account, they actually asked him to teach just as John taught his disciples. So it it led me to ask, well, what did he say? How did he teach them? I don't know. I couldn't find anything exactly uh, on John's teaching of prayer, but we do know this. John was all about preparing the way for the coming Messiah And John declared the coming kingdom of God. So when you're in the middle of the Lord's Prayer and you're saying, your kingdom come, John would have been not only praying that, but declaring that. John was from a priestly family, and an angel announced his birth. His father prophesied over him, saying, you, my little son, will be called prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. So John was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he grew up to do just what was foretold. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. And people came from all around the region to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. All the people believed John was a prophet, John was so great, some people actually thought he was the Messiah, but he was quick to point people to Jesus. This is found in the first chapter of John. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well then, who are you? Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, If you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandal. John was confident yet extremely humble. And you can kind of get the tone of that in the passage we just read. Let's continue to look at his attitude. Uh, You know, John chapter 3 has a really famous verse, 16. Um, But in that same chapter, just a little bit later, there's this really cool interaction between John's disciples and John the Baptist. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man 
you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. And John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it to him from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. See, John had that kingdom mindset. Your kingdom, not mine. Your fame, not mine. Your ministry, not mine. Your followers, not mine. And it goes on. John thought of himself as a best man in a wedding, and it's, it's an important role, but John knew that it was only a supporting role to the groom. And what if we took that same kingdom mindset? What if we said, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less? What if instead of trying to bend God's will toward, towards ours in, in prayer, what if we asked God to bend our will towards his? I think about results and, and rewards when it comes to the prayer back in in Matthew, just before he leads us into what we consider the Lord's Prayer, he's talking about these rewards and all these people who all they're looking for is a reward. And, and, but then he's sharing this other example of, well, you know, your Father in Heaven will reward you. I think often we do enter into prayer looking for a result. And if we're honest, some of us are seeking a reward. And Jesus knows this. And so he talks about it in, in his Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, 6, this is just verses before what we read earlier. He says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. So it's important to know God not only hears us, but he, he sees us. He knows us. Our Father knows what we need. He knows it all, yet he still wants us to come to him. But what is the reward he's talking about? What is the reward of prayer? Have you ever thought of that? Peace. You know, I, I think there's another reward, though. Peace is one, but trust. The way I think about it, maybe you've heard me say it before from, from here when we're getting ready to pray, is that, God, it's, it's much better in, in your hands than, than in our own. I think it's a sense of um, there's only so much we can do, and then, and then we lift it up to God, not necessarily knowing that the answer is going to be a positive, as in, like, maybe yes. Um, you know, we're all looking for an answer, and we hope that it's yes, but I think sometimes, like Garth, we thank God for unanswered prayers. Sometimes you'll witness God do the miraculous, uh, but other times, maybe even something you thought he could or he should do according to his will goes unanswered, or the answer is a clear no. Um, I mentioned earlier I, I grew up with my grandparents, and so some of my earliest memories, of, especially of church, were with my grandmother, and then of the prayer that I learned, the Lord's Prayer, from my grandfather. It was really awesome to grow up with them, and it came with certain challenges, but uh, although I played sports all growing up, for some reason, uh, Christmas of 1997, my grandmother got it in her head, I, I should get a guitar. And that was my first guitar. I didn't want it. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but uh, have you ever received 
maybe a sweater, speaking of ugly sweater stuff, have you ever received from a relative, like, uh, just an awesome ugly sweater, but like an actual ugly one? I mean, I know that's subjective, but you decide, well, I'll wear it in their presence once just to say, thank you. Have you ever, have you ever had that moment? Well, initially, the guitar was like that for me, but if you fast forward a few years, it became beneficial. I kept with it. When I went to Bible college, there was this cool opportunity coming up, and um, when I became a Christian, I was at a, a camp called Riverside, and when I was there, this was when I was, you know, going into grade 12, so the following year, I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to be in a band like the band that I saw that, that whole week? So I auditioned. And I made it where it wasn't just for the summer, it was for all year. So most of my weekends were at different churches and so on, but it was a lot of fun. And I did this for, for three years. This is where I, I really learned to uh, love to lead a band, to, to play, uh, and to lead worship and all of that. Um, and one of the summers, the, the first summer that I got to travel, uh, my grandmother traveled over uh, into Maine to Riverside Camp and got to uh, visit me while I was uh, leading there. And it, it was cool because it was kind of like, thank you, but like, not the joke one, but like actually like, thank you, here, I get to do this now, it's cool. And it was a good way to connect with, with her because I was so close with my grandparents. And so that, that was awesome. Uh, but the next summer, uh, July, it was roughly July uh, 2002, I was traveling through New York. I think it's Lake Champlain. I was crossing over into Vermont. And uh, do you remember payphones? I, I used to, I was sent with uh, like a calling card, I guess, and I had to dial a number and punch in a code, and that's how I could call home, because it was before cell phones were at least uh, readily accessible everywhere, especially crossing the border, there was always a fee, but, um, so I, I called, called home, got to talk to my grandmother, and I wanted to know, you know, are you, are you coming tomorrow, we're on the way, I, I want to see you there. Uh, and I can still remember talking to her, and, and, I'm, and I know it was a good conversation, but I could tell something was bothering her, and I found out, I think it was like her head, there was a nerve, there was something going on, and, and she was like, well, I hope I can be over. And I'm like, oh, man, this, I, no, you've got to come over, right? And uh, so I was, you know, 19 or so, and one of the fun things about traveling in the summer is that it wasn't just my school traveling, there were schools from all around traveling, and so we made friends with some from Southern Wesleyan University, and it was great. It just so happened that we went to a couple camps together. So even though we had our own vans, we would kind of just caravan down the road and stop it wherever we could. And um, so we stop here. We have a chance to have all these different conversations. People are at all these different payphones. And when I got off the phone, I, I, I forget who asked me, but said, well, you know, what's wrong? I said, well, I, I think we should pray. So I got, you know, the, the two teams kind of together in a circle, and uh, we prayed together, and uh, I've got to tell you, you know, I, I know I was 19, but I, I was incredibly confident, and I was incredibly pumped up from being at, at a camp all summer, hearing great messages every day. Um, I felt like those, those were summers where I, I grew so much, and so we were confident, and we were praying. We felt like we were praying the way we should pray, and so I felt like, no, we're, we're good to go, so after however many minutes, and we keep going, what did I expect? I expected God would, it, would at least, if not heal her completely, at least she'd be good enough to, to come the next day. So the next morning, uh, we're, we're finally there, and uh, I knew the camp director, but he pulled me aside, and I got to be the team leader, but, but sometimes being in charge isn't, isn't always good. That means directors sometimes pull you aside to tell you what someone else has done wrong. So I was assuming, oh no, what, what have we done, or what has one of the people on my team done, you know? And I could see, like, he's, 
it's, it's bad. And I'm like, oh, man, uh, is everything okay? And I knew him quite well because he was one of my youth leaders before. And he had tears in his eyes. And I was like, uh-oh, what's going on? And there was an accident. And just maybe half an hour after the conversation I had with my grandmother, uh, she died. And I was like, this is completely the opposite of what we prayed. Now, I know we don't always get everything we pray for, and I'm not trying to relate it to that, but in this moment, I was, I was so confident. Every single one of us was so confident. Um, yet, instead of her crossing the border, I was on the way crossing to come back home for, for a funeral. That challenged my faith. That challenged my perspective of, of prayer quite a bit. Now, I, I get it. You could say, well, it's your grandmother and she's old. Yeah, but an accident, you know. You could think of, well, how, how fair, not that it's about being fair, but it's, it just seemed like, why? Why now, right? And so all of these, all these challenges, it was so huge. Um, later on, when things were hard for John the Baptist, he was in prison, and he began to doubt. I find that interesting. He, he was so powerful, so confident, yet all of a sudden, with everything he had seen, he was even involved in the baptism of Jesus himself. With everything he knew, suddenly his world was no bigger than a prison cell. You see, Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee at the time, he was really intrigued with John the Baptist. He loved, he would bring him to, to hear him speak. And he loved listening to John, even though John was bold. He publicly spoke out against Herod marrying his brother's wife. Not a good thing to to declare if you want to get in on someone's good side, right? But, but Herod put John in prison as a favor to his wife. And when we're reading in Matthew 11, we see John the Baptist, who's in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Somehow, when our circumstances change, God seems different. In our minds, we know that doesn't make sense, but it feels real at the time, doesn't it? Jesus responded to John's disciples. As they were leaving, Jesus said, John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare a way before you. I tell you the truth. Of all who ever lived, None is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you're willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophet said would come, and anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. What I want you to know is this is for you, but it's not about you. And I think we, we all need to internalize this. It's, it's, this is for me, but it's not about me. The Lord's Prayer teaches us we need to be aligned to God's will and His will for the church and for the world. Just like John the Baptist, John the Baptist, I need to take the attitude, God, you must increase, I must decrease. 
The Lord's Prayer is about God's greatness, God's will, and our dependence. Not just individually, but, but collectively. Our dependence is where God grows our character. As one author put it, God is more concerned with your long-term character than your short-term happiness. This is for you, but it's not about you. What do we need to do now? Well, I think we need to think differently. We also need to pray differently. I invite you to stand with us as we prepare to continue in worship. And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, but we've, we've read it in a very traditional way. We've read it in the New Living Translation, but I'd like us to close together reading it aloud together in the message. Sometimes reading in a paraphrase like that, there's a freshness that comes with that. And we're about to continue in worship, and it's going to be awesome. But let's, let's make this our, our prayer this evening. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Let's pray it together. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best. As above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven and with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes.